Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Joshua chapter number 13 this morning. Joshua chapter number 13. When you find your place, I'll have you stand if you can. We'll read some of the chapter here and give what the Lord's put on my heart. Joshua chapter 13. Bible says in Joshua chapter number 13 and verse 1, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. And there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. I guess it's one thing to be old and something else when the Lord tells you you're old. <laughs> Amen. This is the land that yet <clears throat> remaineth. All the borders of the Philistines and all Jeshurai from Sihor, which is before Egypt, even into the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, the Gazathites and the Ashdodites and the Eshkelonites and the Gittites and the Ekronites, also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanite and Miare, that is beside the Zidonians, unto Aphek, to the borders of the Amorites, and the land of the Giblites and all Lebanon toward the sun rising, from Baal Gad under Mount Hermon unto the entering into Hamath. <clears throat> All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon unto Mizrephoth and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded thee. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh with whom the Reubenites and the Gadites have received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward, even as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them, from a rower that is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the river, unto all the plain of Mediba, unto Dibon. And all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, which reigned in Heshbon, unto the border of the children of Ammon, and Gilead, and the border of the Jeshurites, and the Maacathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Baash, and unto Selka, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, which reigned in Ashtaroth and Adrea, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for these did Moses smite and cast them out. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Jeshurites nor the Maacathites, but the Jeshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites unto this day. Well, we'll stop right about there. What a passage of scripture we have before us. Joshua's fitting to divide up the land. And there's some great things in here I want to preach to you today. And I'd ask uh, Dad if he'd uh, ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Take your Bible real quickly, if you would. We're going to go back to Joshua chapter 13. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I want to show you this by way of introduction this morning. Uh, as you know, we're preaching through the book of Joshua. And we have got this far. And Joshua's getting ready to divide up the land. And he's old. He is old. And the battles have been won. But there's a lot of land that needs to be possessed. 
Now it's one thing to, po- to win the battle, amen? But there's another thing to possess the land. And uh, we don't want to get too carried away off on semantics this morning, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to read you just a couple verses here and make some New Testament application to what we're trying to preach through devotionally and historically. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, if you look at verse 12, very familiar passage of Scripture. We've been preaching a lot about spiritual warfare in the life of the believer. Obviously, this is Joshua, amen, the book of Joshua. And if you like fighting, this is a great book to read, amen. If you're a guy, uh, get your boys to read the book of Joshua instead of Louis L'Amour. Get your boys to read the book of Joshua instead of watching John Wayne. <laughs> amen, this is good stuff. I mean, heads flying and everything, amen. <laughs> but in 1 Timothy uh, chapter number 6, we see here in verse number 12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says this, lay hold on eternal life. Isn't that strange? Now, if you're saved, you have eternal life. But Paul, he mentions that thing like there is something you can do uh, in this life to make it more real. You are to lay hold on eternal life. In other words, what he's saying is you need to live like you're going there. You need to lay hold upon that which you have. Amen. Because you have eternal life, now lay hold on that thing. He says, lay hold on eternal life where unto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Look over here now, verse number 18. The Bible says, well, we'll go to 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, not the, uh, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Amen? Like the Lions game a little bit later. Amen? I just threw that in there just to see what you do with that, amen. Verse 18, the Bible says that they do good. They be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may, here it is again, lay hold on eternal life. Christian, there is something you can do in this life to build up something for the next life, amen. And our treasures are supposed to be in heaven, aren't they? The Bible says over in the book of Matthew, I think it's 6 or 12, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's why we're supposed to keep our eyes up there. You say, why? Because that's where our treasure is at. That's where Jesus Christ is at. That's where the word of God is at. And you know what? Now that's also where all the saints that have gone before us are at. That's why he says you're supposed to keep your eyes up there. That's why Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here in, back in Joshua chapter 13, he says a very interesting thing in the first verse of the chapter. I'm really going to try to preach this thing. Verse number 1, he says this. Joshua 13, back to Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. He says, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. I'm going to try to preach a message about laying hold. Or you could subtitle it, There's a lot of land you've got to possess yet. Amen. And there's a lot of land that Israel's got to possess here. And uh, for us to uh, lay hold on eternal life, as we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 and 18 and 19, uh, there's a five-point sermon right within those three verses. I'll give it to you. I won't preach them. I'll just give them to you. If you're going to fight the good fight of faith, I'm sorry, if you're going to lay hold on eternal life in those three verses I just read in Timothy, you have to fight the good fight of faith, number one. You have to be doing good, according to what the Bible says. 
You have to be rich in good works. You have to be ready to distribute and willing to communicate. That has to do with your giving. Amen? Now, those five things, that's how you lay hold on eternal life here in this world here by carrying those five things out. That's not legalism. That's Pauline doctrine. That's scriptural. That's how you lay hold on eternal life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, 18 and 19. Now, that's a message in the intro. Amen. You can study that out. You can write it for yourself. Amen. But here's the thing. If you and I, we're going to lay hold on eternal life and we're going to make some practical application through this chapter, uh, we're going to have to understand a few things through chapter number 13. And let me just give you these. First of all, you know what you're going to have to realize? You're going to have to realize the obvious. There is much land to be possessed. You're going to have to realize the obvious. There is much land to be possessed. Verse uh, number uh, 1, it said, There remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. And Israel had won the battles. This was, took about five or so years of fighting. And they'd won all the battles. But if you know anything about history, if you know anything about warfare, you can win the battle, but then dealing with the mess that's left over is another story. You can go in there and win the battle, but now you've got to go in there, and now you've got to build the houses, you've got to clean up the clutter, you've got to get rid of the garbage, you've got to get rid of the debris, you've got to build houses, you've got to build cities, and you've got to put the crops in the ground, you've got to till the ground, you've got to weed them, and you've got to harvest them. There's more than just winning a battle. Now, thank God when we got saved, uh, he, he gave us the victory over the battle of, of sin and death. Amen? We no longer have to worry about where we are going to spend eternity the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. But let me tell you what, it's going to be a fight to the finish line. Number one, to please Him. And number two, to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil and conquer all that stuff. There's yet much to be possessed, much land. And the Christian, he spiritually conquers now. Our job is to spiritually conquer now. It is. Our job is not to sit on the sidelines. Our job is not to uh, try to take the easy way out. Our job as Christians is to spiritually conquer now and then physically possess later. No cross, no crown. You physically conquer now. I'm sorry, you spiritually conquer now. And then at the judgment seat of Christ, you get rewarded. And during the millennial reign, if you've suffered for Jesus Christ, you can physically re be rewarded then. But now it's conquer to the graveyard. Now you know that we've been preaching it, but this thing is looking at us every time we open the passage. And he says, there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. And you're going to have to conquer the world. You're going to have to conquer the flesh. Amen. And so for some of you, the flesh will be the biggest battle. And some of you, the world will be the biggest battle. And then you're going to have to wage war and try, do your best to wage war against the devil. You say, well, how in the world am I going to do that? I wonder how. I reckon you're going to have to do it through the Word of God. Amen. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit to the joints and marrow, and is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's how you conquer it. You do it with the Word of God. Not only that, you're going to have to conquer the world, the flesh, and war, wage war against the devil all your life. You're going to have to do it with the Word of God. You have to do it with prayer, right? Easy stuff this morning, amen? But yet it's so difficult to maintain. We know the answers. You are only going to, this is your only offensive weapon you've been given. The Bible says over there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying always. 
praying always. You're going to have to take this book. You're going to have to read it line upon line, here a little, there a little, uh, precept upon precept, amen, routine duty. You know what frustrates you? Things don't happen fast enough for you. You know what gets you upset? Nothing's, nothing's moving. The water's not shaking. There's not a voice from heaven. <laughs> Just routine duty. Get up, read your Bible, get up, pray, get up, go to work, do the dishes, yell at the kids, repeat. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's just routine duty. That's all you do sometimes. That's what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you can't expect God to do what he's supposed to do for you. So you read the Bible. You conquer the world. You conquer the flesh. You wage war against the devil through the word of God. You conquer the world. You conquer the flesh. And you wage war against the devil through prayer. And not only that, but God's given you this local church. Take your Bible, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now notice this thing here. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. Bible says here, But if I tarry long, Paul says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I ain't that wild. You know what he just said? He's talking about the local church because he just talk, got done talking about deacons. Amen? He just got to talk about the ministry, just talking about uh, the office of a bishop. That's in a local church. He says that local church that you have and that you're a part of, that is the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, we're not talking about papacy and Catholic and all that stuff and, you know, heavy on the pastoral authority and all that stuff. We're talking about your local church is the pillar and ground of truth. You know, how am I going to conquer the world, preacher? Well, you got a Bible, don't you? You got access to the throne, don't you? You got a local church, don't you? Say, well, how's a local church going to help me fight? You're here this morning, aren't you? You're not sinning, are you? Yes. That's how you do it. You're like, oh, come on. That's Is it really? In their time this week, the, the devil climbed all over you and kicked your tail right up over the backside of your shoulder. You weren't in church, were you? I'll tell you what, I'll just chalk it up to about five, however many hours a week I'm in church. You see, you're in church because you have to. Well, that, that's probably a good reason to be there too, amen, because I have to be there. And by, even if I didn't have to be there, I still have to be there. It just kind of got put into me, and I, it's what it is, amen. But usually, usually when I'm in church, I'm not sinning. That's a blessing. <laughs> I know it's so simple, but that just that's good, isn't it? Well, you conquer uh, through the Word of God, through prayer, through the local church. Now, the church is not a social club, amen, but it is a place for fellowship. Church is, it's not a cult. We've been accused of being a cult before, but you, I guarantee you, if this was a cult, you would not be allowed to think certain things. By all means, think whatever you want, <laughs> amen, but do what God tells you to do. This place is not a cult. It's a place where you and I can learn the Word of God. It's the pillar and the ground of truth. This church is, it's not a place for a pep talk. The world's great. They want pep talks. But it's a place for preaching. This is a place for preaching. Not a place for a pep talk. 
not a place to be served. Thank you. (laughs) The church is not a place where I look to be served. The church is a place where I learn to originate my service there for Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the pillar and the ground of truth. And if I get rid of the local church, I get rid of the pillars, and I get rid of the ground, and I might as well get rid of the truth. Every Christian in your Bible was a part of a local church. Trying to encourage you this morning. You say, you getting after us? Why would I do that? (laughs) I'm your preacher. I love you, but I'm telling you what, you need this local church. He said, no, I don't need it. Then find one that you do. You see what I mean? You need a local church. You need to be a part of that pillar. In the book of Acts, there were some men, Peter, James, and John, and the Bible says they were perceived to be pillars. We need more pillars in this local church. You say you want a big offering? No, I want God to move in the hearts of men and fire men up for the cause of Jesus Christ. You need this church. This is not the message, but there's another gear and I went ahead and grabbed it. It's a pillar and ground of truth. Christian spiritually conquers now and physically possesses later. I want to give you number two here this morning. You're going to lay hold on eternal life. I want you to notice here in verse 8, you need to remember this. Christian, remember that lagging behind will keep you sore and in the spotlight. Lagging behind will keep you sore and in the spotlight. The Bible says in verse 8, Joshua 13, 8, With whom the Reubenites and the Gadites have received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward, even as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Oh, Dr. Ruckman said this. He'd always say this when he'd preach and he'd be throwing that piece of chalk up in the air and he says, catch up with the column, catch up with the column. You all remember him saying, catch up with the column. I think, what, 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 are, we, what are we column? What are we catching up for? He's, it's a military term. And if you're onward Christian soldiers, right? He's saying, catch up with the column. Some of you lagging behind. He said, why are you all fired up? Take your Bible, go to uh, the book of, what do we want here? I just lost it. Anywhere is good. Numbers 32. You say, I don't see no one lagging behind. You know the story, don't you? You know the story about the two and a half tribes there. Reubenite, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, right? You know the story. They wanted to be on the other side, Jordan, right? I'm telling you this morning, if you insist on lagging behind in the Christian life, it's going to keep you sore and in the spotlight. I've read this passage here at least at least 50 times. And every time I got here, I thought this, well, them bunch of judgmental birds, why are they giving those tribes the rush? 50 times. You say, is it really 50? Oh, maybe 51, I don't know. Why are they all over Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh? You ever, you ever get that the thought in your head when they're going after them? I'm like, what a, what a bunch of Baptists. Leave them alone. Right, but you know what I know? What the Lord showed me? I'm looking at it wrong. I'm looking at it from the inward side like, hey, it's not right that you should judge me like that. Take your Bible, go to, uh, you're already there. Look at number 32, 30. He says, but if they will not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. You see that? 
You know what he's saying? He's like, okay, so you say you want this, but if that's not really what you want, you can find possessions where you're supposed to have them. So they're sore on the thing. And let me show you this. Lagging behind gives everyone the idea that you don't want to live a holy life. Now look, it's not true in the passage. But take your Bible now, go to Joshua chapter 22. We're talking about Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They kept lagging behind. They insisted on getting their part of the inheritance. Wow, that was a lot of spit on that one there. Their part of the inheritance on that side of Jordan, amen? They insisted on it. And you know what, Moses? Okay, guys, right? But when they first ask, Moses is like, what's going on, guys? You think you're going to let us do all the fighting? Like, no, no, we'll go fight. But now look, when you lag behind, you give others the idea that you don't want to live a holy life. Joshua twenty two twelve. 12. Remember, they went, as soon as all the land was uh, divided up, they went and built that big old altar. Remember that? They went and built that big old altar, and everyone, they've been swinging the sword for five years or more, and all of Israel gathered together, they're going to wipe out those two and a half tribes. They thought they were into adultery already. Bible says, when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. They were ready to take the sword and hack their brothers to pieces. I'm telling you what, the Christian life, the battle is real. And if you want to know why you all get sore with each other as quick as you do, is because the devil's been licking at you all week long. And that's why it's just as much a battle to be long-suffering and to be forbearing and to be forgiving as it is just to try to always have the right answer to everything. Because you've been getting your tail kicked all week long. So they've been fighting. Everybody's been fighting. Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh go back the other side, east of Jordan. They build this humongous altar. And they're like, dude, they're worshiping idols. Let's wipe them out. And I always thought, man, you bunch of bloodsuckers, you bunch of bloodthirsty Baptist ready to cut everyone's head off that disagrees with you. And the Lord's like, no, 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 no. They're lagging behind. And they're giving off the idea that they don't want to do right. You've got to be careful, Christian, that you don't lag behind and give everyone else the idea that you won't want to do right. Now, that ain't easy to swallow. But that's the truth. When you lag behind, you give other people the idea that you don't want to live a holy life. Now, that might not be, and in this situation, that wasn't the case either, was it? They were still sincere. They're just lagging behind. A lot of Christians are sincere, and they're sincerely lagging behind. You say, well, what do they need to do? They need to catch up with the column. They need to catch up. Well, you know, everyone grows. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about lagging behind, putting so much distance between you and your brethren. You see that thing? I wonder where they're at. I wonder if they're okay. Oh, I'm sure they're okay. And then you find out they're not. How do you know? Oh, you didn't know. They're on the east side of Jordan. How would you know? Your place is here. We doing all right this morning? I'm trying to give you some practical applications from a Israeli historical passage. Lagging behind gives other people the idea that you don't want to live a holy life. Now notice this. 
Look at First uh, Chronicles chapter 12. I'll show you this little nugget from the King James Bible. First, I used to hate that. Someone said, I'm going to give you a nugget. I don't want a nugget. Is that a chicken nugget or something? <laughs> but it is truly a nugget. Look at First Chronicles chapter 12. Whoever wrote that song, I don't remember who wrote that song on where Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. You know how hard it is for an army to march when they're miles apart? Scattered Christian soldiers, some come every once in a while. See what I mean? <laughs> All right, that's funny. You say what you want. <laughs> Making it up as I go, you know. <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 12. Amen. Isn't it good to be saved? <laughs> you say you just said that for filler. Possibly. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 38. You talk about men that were uh, in David's boat. Uh, David's army here. All these men of war that could keep what? That doesn't mean they stunk. <laughs> keep rank. Bible says in Amos chapter 3 verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed. In the ministry, you and I need to be in unity on the ministry. Amen? And this is where we, this is where we get the orders from headquarters. This is the pillar in the ground. I'm saying some people are lagging behind. You say, who? The Holy Spirit will tell you. But these soldiers of David, they were there and they could keep rank, came with a perfect heart to Hebron, so forth and so on. I want you to see that. You know, as Christians, we ought to be able to keep rank. Amen? We ought to be able to keep up with the column. Now, we're not talking about the exceptions to the rule, and everyone's got an exception, and all that exception does, as you know, is just proves the rule. Amen? But we ought to be able to keep rank. We ought to be able to keep rank. Now let me show you this. Lagging behind gives others the idea you don't want to live a holy life. And notice here, in, uh, back to Joshua 13 and verse 17, I want you to see that your motives and your morals come into question. Now I'm sorry. Uh, go back to Joshua 22. I apologize for jumping you all over. I don't normally do this, but there's just so much in here, it's hard to keep it all together. Joshua chapter 22. I'm talking about these tribes that are lagging behind. And when they lag behind, then they start doing things on their own. And they start doing things on their own. They give the idea to everybody else that they don't want to live a holy life. And now they've got to explain themselves. If you look at Joshua 22, 17... I want you to see your motives and your morals come into question. He says uh, to these tribes, Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord? You know what he's saying to those tribes? Hey, didn't we just go through this? Didn't we just go through this fornicating idolatry stuff? And, and we just literally have just gotten past it. And here you are getting ready to commit the same thing again. You see how it threw them off? You say, why? They're lagging behind. They're over on the other side of Jordan. Their part should have been on that side. 
I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you'll lag behind as a Christian. And we're not talking about being popular. We're not talking about all that. But you'll lag behind and God will want you to be where you should be. And you're not there. And you lag behind and your motives and your morals come into question. I've read that passage so many times, like I said, and I'm like, man, they sure were hard on them people. That's how I read it. I'm like, cut them some slack, buddy. And finally the Holy Spirit's like, no. It's because they're so far out in left field, they're given the appearance that that's what they want. Listen, Christian, when your irregularity in the Christian life becomes regular, you got problems. You got problems. You're, you're throwing these weird signals. Your motives come into question. Your morals come into question. And verse 18, your mindset comes into question. But, what, uh, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. You see what he says? He says, you're out of your mind. You're turning away from the Lord. And they weren't. They simply wanted to do something innocent. But yet it was construed in a negative manner. Well, let me show you this one. Lagging behind gives the Lord the green light to have the enemy hit you first. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 5. This is the craziest thing of everything. You hear Christians all the time. Well, brother, I got liberty. Like what? Insurance or what? What are we talking about? No, I got liberty. I can, me and the Lord, we're okay. Oh, oh, whatever, help yourself. That ain't what the Bible says. You got liberty to serve God and serve one another, amen? That's why I gave you liberty. Usually when someone says, I got liberty, it usually means I'm going to do what I want to do and ain't nobody going to tell me and show me in the Bible where I'm wrong. That's usually what that means, amen? But notice this thing here. When you lag behind, notice the Lord has the green light to have the enemy hit you first. First Chronicles 5.26 And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he carried them away. Even here they are, Reubenites, Gadites, half of Manasseh, and brought them unto Hala, unto Habor, unto Hera, unto the river Gozan unto this day. So that's the first part of the captivity. Those out in left field, they go first. You see it? Now, can I make a practical application? <clears throat> Lord brought us here in 2014. It'll be 10 years. My goodness. And in 10 years, I see Christians out in left field. And they're out in left field, and guess what happens? They won't catch up with the column. And they get hit first. Pretty simple, ain't it? You're lagging behind, man. You got to catch up with the column. This is the place, this is the pillar of the ground of truth right here. It's in your lap. And this local church that God gave you, or wherever your local church is at, amen, that's the pillar and ground of truth. You start lagging behind, you start getting out there, you start putting quite the distance between you and God, and you and all the brethren, and you and the church, guess what? You're going to get hit. You're going to get hit, and you're going to get hit first. I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. And the Bible's true. Let's get off that one, give you number three here. You're going to lay hold on eternal life. You need to remember this. In verse number 13 of Joshua 13, 13, 13, you need to remember that incomplete obedience leads you down a dark path. Incomplete obedience will lead you down a dark path. 
Notice this, the Bible says in verse 13, Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Jeshurites nor the Maacathites, but the Jeshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. I mean, is any of this making sense this morning? I tell you what, this passage is loaded and it seems a little bit drab. It seems a little bit dry and a bunch of towns and they'll divvy up even inheritance here. But I'm telling you what, there's some, there's some atom bombs stuck, about five of them stuck in this passage here. And about the time you hover over them, they blow up right in your face. And this is one of them. Incomplete obedience. Incomplete obedience leads you down a dark path. Now notice this in verse 13. There's two tribes, uh, the Jeshurites and Maacathites, that uh, weren't, weren't kicked out. And God said, kick them out. Didn't he? Isn't that what he said? All right, take your Bible, go to Numbers chapter 33. Now listen, here's a lesson you and I can learn from it. You can't compromise with heathen practices. You cannot compromise with heathen practices. I told the Sunday school this morning, God told Israel to go in there, and there are seven nations, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the HIVites and all the rest of the ice there, amen? He said, kick them out. He said, he said get rid of them. He said, kill them all is what he said. Uh, he didn't give us that commission, amen? You know what our, the inhabitants of our land are? I said it this morning, I'll say it again. It's the Facebookites, the Twitterites, the TikTokites, the YouTube. You see what I mean? That's what's living in our land. That's what he wants you to drive out. That's the sins of our day. You say, well, I don't think there's that. Well, help yourself, amen. But I'm going to tell you what. If you don't get rid of it, it'll get a hold of you. It'll lead you down a dark path. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you get there in the dark when nobody's on, that blue glow, you're flip, flip. Flip, flip, and next thing you know, you're on a very dark path. Amen? That's the truth. Now watch this thing here. You can't compromise with heathen practices. Numbers 32, 52 to 53. The Bible says, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land. You see it? From before you and destroy all their whoa, pictures and destroy all their molten Images and quite pluck down all their high places, and ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Let me tell you what, in your Christian life, you know what you need to do? You need to get rid of the wrong people in your Christian life. Some of you hanging out with people, you got no business hanging out, and here's a practical lesson. You need to go in here and get rid of the wrong We're not talking about that. We're not, you know, amen. That, Muhammad might do that, but you need to separate from those people. Get rid of the wrong people. That makes sense, doesn't it? There's some friends that you hang around with that you should not be hanging around with. Amen? You need to get rid of those friends. Not only that, you need to get rid of the wrong people and you need to get rid of the wrong pictures. Right in the passage. I'm not preaching a soapbox. We're going right through it. You need to get rid of the wrong pictures. You need to then get rid of the wrong practices. You see it right in the text? And by doing that then you can make it the right place. That's the lesson from it. The wrong people got to go. The wrong pictures got to go. The wrong practices got to go. And when you dispossess those three, then it can be the right place where you can put the right stuff in. Here's the example. You've got a hay wagon, and you need to harvest hay. You need to get all the hay off the field, amen? And But yet you got it full of rocks. Well, you put, start putting hay bales on it, and it's just going to fall off. So some Christians, they come, they'll come to church and they'll have their wagon full of junk. 
So the right stuff is given out, but nothing can land and stay on because you got so much garbage on your wagon, you got to offload the wagon of the bad stuff before you can put on the right stuff. Never be the right place until you get rid of the wrong stuff. Let me show you this. When you refuse to deal with sin in your life, Christian, that sin grows. It will torment you until it finally controls you. What started out as one tribe on the east side of Jordan, letting two heathen people slide, that's all Manasseh did. Manasseh, I mean, just a half tribe, right? Why give them grief, right? Come on, give Manasseh a break, right? Okay, we'll give him a break. You realize what happened? This thing is like the snowball that started at the top of the mountain and ended up taking out the village. What started out as one tribe, half tribe, refused to get rid of the Jeshurites and the Maacathites. Let's look at the progression real quick. This will blow your mind. It turns, it turns into seven tribes by Judges chapter 1. I'm sorry, by Judges yeah, by Judges chapter 1, verses 19 to 36. Those two little groups turn into seven tribes that are in the land of Israel. From right in your passage, Joshua chapter 13, to Judges chapter 1, verses 19 to 36, that thing has exploded to seven tribes. And isn't that how sin goes? Oh, it's just so, it's just small. It's just so cute and cuddly and warm and fun and... Nobody will ever know, and next thing you know, seven of them. This incomplete obedience eventuates into idolatry of the people and turns you into a continuous cycle. Christian, have you ever felt in your Christian life, I hate to say that, but have you ever just noticed that you're going in circles sometimes? Just a vicious circle, a vicious cycle. Doesn't it irritate you? Frustrates the devil out of me. And here's the cycle. By Judges chapter 2, verses 11 to 19, you have a continuous cycle of apostasy, enslavement, repentance, deliverance, and right back into apostasy again. You say, why? Because they wouldn't get the stuff out that they should have. They didn't get the stuff out that God said remove, and they know it, and they just sat on their hands and said, it ain't that big of a deal. It's not going to hurt us that bad. It's really okay, and it's just the way you look at it, and everyone else is doing it, and so you know, it just a little bit won't hurt. The incomplete obedience causes total anarchy by Judges 21-25. Look at that real quick. That little half-tribe, not getting rid of the Jeshurites and the Maacathites causes total anarchy by the last book in Judges. Don't tell me one little thing won't matter. Judges 21-25, the Bible says in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now here's the illustration. Now David was a great man, a great king, wasn't he? Man after God's own heart. Nobody could sling a sling like David. Nobody could play a harp like David. Nobody could kill a giant like David did. Nobody could rip bears and lions in half and all that stuff. I mean, David was a mighty man. He loved God. He was a warrior. He had heart. But you know where David's trouble came from? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 3. You know what David did? David had a little problem. He, uh, he had a bunch of wives, and the Bible told him he shouldn't have. 
Now I understand the situation back then uh, per se, but you know what one of them wives came from? Jeshuri. Maacatha. You know whose son that produced? Absalom. You know how much suffering was produced? Now take your Bible, go to 2 Samuel 13, verse 37. 2 Samuel 13, verse 37. Here you have Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. And the Jeshurites were supposed to have been gotten rid of. And in 2 Samuel 13, 37, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of what? Why is that king there? I'll tell you why that king's there. Because Manasseh didn't drive the Jeshurites out. And because of that, they got stronger and stronger. And a thousand years later, they're plaguing David. I'm telling you, if you let little things go in your Christian life, they'll become big things. They'll lead you down a dark path. They'll get you running in circles. I'm telling you what, when God sheds the light on what you're messing around with, you got to take care of it. you got to go after it. you got to whip it, and you got to kick it out. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to show you this one. Give you number four. We're almost done. Like, thank God. <laughs> Verse number 22. I want you to see if you're going to lay hold on eternal life and take advantage and possess the land that God's given you, Christian light, appropriate that stuff, you're going to have to remember why Balaam had to lose his life. You're going to have to remember Balaam. You ever wonder why they stick Balaam in there? I'll tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. Balaam had some problems. In verse 22, the Bible says, Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with a sword among them that were slain by them. Why in the world is Balaam... In that passage, right back in number 32. I'll tell you why, because Balaam had some problems, and the Holy Spirit of God wanted you and I to see what the problems were. The first problem he had is he had a problem with money. He had a problem with money. He was messed up with his money. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, you know the verse. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Isn't that what it says? Some people say money's the root of No, it's the love of money. All right, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. And what's that word? And what? Pierced. It looks to me like Balaam got pierced, didn't he? <laughs> Literally. And pierced himself through with many sorrows. That verse 22 said, Balaam also the son of Beer, the soothsayer to the children of Israel, slay with a sword. You see that? He loved money. He was messed up with money. He was messed up with money. Now that, he was messed up with his message. He was messed up with his message. You know what he taught? He got up in the hills there and do all that religious stuff. Uh, he taught that the, the, the clergy should be over the laity. That's what he did. Yeah, he was up there saying, if you're going to come to God, you've got to come through me. And let me tell you what, there's only one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Balaam don't count. You don't happen to know of any religion out there, do you, that makes you go to them to go to God? I mean, possibly maybe just five, six, or seven miles down the road. The laity or the clergy over the laity. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 2, just in case you don't think I'm a hate monger. I'm a dissenter. I'm a Bible-believing dissenter. Amen. And for that, we shall forever be known as heretics. Now, the Bible says this. Revelation chapter 2. He was messed up with his message. The common man had to come to him to get to God. Revelation 2, 14 to 15. 
He says, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast here them that hold the doctrine of, there he is, Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and commit fornication. So hast thou also that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So Balaam taught you got to go to God, you got to go through him. He was messed up in his money, he's messed up in his message, and not only that, finally here, he was messed up with the men that he hung around. He was messed up in the men that he hung around. You know what Balaam was hanging around with? He was hanging around with Balak, and he was hanging around with that crowd there at Moab, and he was hanging around with that crowd at Midian. He was hanging around with a bunch of fornicating idolaters. That's exactly what he was hanging around with. And you know what happened? He met the same fate that those fornicating idolaters did. He was messed up with the men that he hung around with. Bible says over there in the book of Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Well, he was messed up. I'll give you the last one. We'll close here. You're going to lay a hold on eternal life. You're going to have to remember a bunch of things here in this passage. But here's an interesting one. It starts in verse 14 and you pick it up in verse 33. I want you to remember the picture of the Levites. They had the Lord for an inheritance. So that Levi, look at verse uh, 14 if you would. There's two verses, one in the middle and one at the very end about this Levite. And it's the most interesting thing that the Lord puts it in where he does. Joshua 13, we'll grab this and we'll be done here. He says in verse 14, Only unto the tribe of Levi he gave none inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said unto them. Look at verse 33. But unto the tribe of Levi Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. They almost seem disjointed, but they're not. I want you to see here, instead of being given the land, the Levite was scattered throughout Israel in cities. Everybody else was given a physical piece of land or they could put their roots in deep and cause things to grow, but not that Levite. That Levite was scattered throughout all of Israel. And the Lord was their inheritance. You say, why? Well, you remember back there in Exodus chapter 32, when that whole ordeal with the golden calf went down and the Babylonian beetles showed up and the rock concert and they're messing around, all that, right? Exodus chapter 32. I might have embellished a little bit there. But remember, uh, Moses comes down and he must have been a Baptist because he lost his temper and he threw things, amen? And uh, he gets up there and he's all mad and everything's busting loose. He said, who is on the Lord's side? Who stood up? It was the Levites. Ain't that something? God remembered that. Lord said to Moses, who's on my side? And that tribe that got the bad rap in Genesis chapter 49, they got a terrible blessing. They got a cursing in 49. I believe maybe some of them have been waiting generation after generation just to clear their name. Lord was their inheritance because they're the ones that stood up for the Lord during the mess with the golden calf. And because of that, God chose the tribe of Levi as his priest. And you see that in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. God takes that whole tribe and he said, they're mine. I'm not going to take the animals no more. I'm going to take this tribe because they stood up for me. 
Let me tell you what, as we get ready to close here this morning, if you believe what God said about His Son, He'll take you too. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all you got to do today is realize that you're a sinner uh, headed for hell like a rocket. And all you got to do is believe what God said about His Son. And if you believe what God said about His Son, He'll take you. He'll take you. So you and I are just like that Levite and type. We have no permanent possessions on this earth. What did he say? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Well, it's a picture of that Levite, ain't it? Well, it's so tempting to just try to grasp things and try to make things a little bit better and brighter down here and try to make it permanent. It's not permanent. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. I'm telling you, underneath this church here, some of that old, rough, sawed-off timber been there since the 50s and 60s and earlier. It's probably in the 30s up towards that and 20s up through there. I'm telling you about that stuff so dry. An ember hit that, the thing was... And that's going to happen to this world. This world's going to burn. And if you don't believe what God said about His Son, you're going to burn with it. And if that wasn't enough, when you stand before God at the great white throne judgment, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's going to say, depart from me for I... Never knew you. And you'd be like, well, but I went to church, and, uh, but I helped people uh, in need, and, and I gave money, and I did this, and I did that. And he said, I never knew you. That Levite's a type of Christian. No permanent possessions. You see, the born-again child of God is part of a holy royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 5, is called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Just like that Levite, except the Levite offered up physical ones. Well, Joshua 13, 1 says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Christian, let me ask you this. What's holding you back from your spiritual conquest? What's keeping you from getting into the fight whereupon you may lay hold upon eternal life? Is it you're refusing to admit the obvious? Maybe you're lagging behind this morning. Maybe skipping some prayer, skipping some Bible reading, skipping out on some church. Maybe you're just a little bit incomplete in your obedience this morning. Or maybe you're like Balaam. I don't know, maybe you're messed up with your money, your message, and the men you hang with. The old hymn writer said, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. It's going to be sweet one of these days if you're saved. I know some of you are probably dealing with things I have no idea about. You're tired of it and you want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. But let me tell you what. There are some Jeshurites and Maccathites in your land. It's time to get them out. It's time to get them out. There's much land that needs to be possessed. Very much, the Bible says. Now as the pianist comes to play here, we'll open up this altar. Maybe you need to come talk to the Lord. There's much land to be possessed until that day would to God that we lay hold on eternal life and appropriate the very things God's given us today freely by His Son. As she begins to play, would you come? Would you come just talk to the Lord this morning? It's time to lay hold. It's time to lay hold on eternal life. I mean, really get a hold of it. Would you come? The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Just come talk to Him.